Well, uh, God bless you guys. Welcome to Swerve Church. So glad you guys decided to join us this morning. Hope everybody's having a great start to the day so far. We are in the series called How to Neighbor, just like Stephen mentioned. It's been a very challenging series uh, for us as well as we really consider who is our neighbor and how, what are some of the best ways that we can love and serve our neighbor. Well, I had the privilege of being able to travel to some very impoverished uh, neighborhoods, some very impoverished uh, countries throughout the world on various mission trips. Some of you may have been able to do that as well if you've ever been to a mission trip. And there's just so many uh, countries and so many places all over the world where there's experiencing so much poverty, right? Uh, I've been to the Dominican Republic several times. I've been to Honduras a couple of times as well. And the conditions that the people live in those places, man, it is simply heartbreaking. Those of you that have gone to places like that, you have experienced it firsthand and you know. I have a very dear friend of mine. He came from Honduras to New York City. He, man, he, he lived the dream. He lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Williamsburg. He had a great paying job. He had tons of friends. And then he just felt the call of God to go back to his country, to go back to Honduras, to really a very simplistic and simple, a simple lifestyle. In fact, this was... This was his home. This is where he lived over to the right. If you kind of notice on the right side there, you guys kind of see what's there. He lived in a home made out of bamboo sticks. He literally went to like one of the poorest uh, neighborhoods back home and he built a house out of bamboo sticks. And that's where he lived. Imagine this. No bathroom, no running water. If he wanted to bathe or wash his clothes, there was a lake about half a mile away. And that's where he went to bathe and wash his clothes. Um, next door to him was this beautiful family that lived in. I'll never forget this family. I'll never forget them because their youngest child was a little boy. His name was Christian. My sons, for those of you that don't know, my son, my middle son's name is Christian as well. And they were both around the same age. And, and what was interesting is that this little boy was walking around. He was playing with dirt, with rocks and plastic bottles for fun. And he was walking around, but naked. That was, that was, there was no shame in his game. He was just walking around playing with his rocks, playing with this plastic bottle. And basically I asked, why was he walking around like that? His mom said that he only had one clean pair of clothes for school and she didn't want to, she didn't want to dirty it. So she wanted to make sure she kept his one good pair of school clothes. And he just walked around town uh, just like this, playing around in his yard. Um, in the Dominican Republic, we stood in homes with no running water. In order to flush the toilet, some of you have experienced this, in order to flush the toilet, you had to take buckets of water, throw it down, throw it down the toilet so that it would flush. Um, it was completely crazy. Uh, same thing to bathe. If you wanted to take a bath, ice cold. This was before the ice bucket challenge. You had to do the ice bucket challenge to bathe, right? You had to like take buckets of water, dump it over your head. And, and that's, but you know what was really crazy, especially in the Dominican Republic, you jump in the car 15 minutes away, you end up at a resort. AC, running water, a pool, mind-boggling, completely mind-boggling. Drive 15 minutes further down and now you're back in complete poverty. Kids with no shoes, no running water and such. It was absolutely amazing. You know, I remember one morning I went to somebody's house and uh, they offered me some coffee. What do you do when you go to somebody's house and they offer you something? You say, sure, yeah, why not? Right? Who's going to turn down a cup of coffee? And so I, I, they, she gave me the cup of coffee. Me, my godfather was on the trip as well. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, the coffee had been sitting out all day. So is coffee it's sitting out all day. It's lukewarm. You know, it's like, kind of like it's not hot coffee at all. She didn't have gas to warm it back up. And because they were very poor, they had no milk and no sugar. Uh, so she didn't have any of that either. So imagine 
I'm trying. I'm gonna drink this coffee. She offered the nice lady offered it to me. Lukewarm black coffee, no milk, no sugar. I took a sip, but then I, I, I kind of saw something. You know when you kind of pick up the cup and you look inside and you see something in there. I was like, what is that? And so I, I put it into the light, and it was a bunch of little tiny insects inside the coffee. It was all inside of the inside of the coffee. I guess from having to sit out all day, a bunch of the bugs climbed in there and it just they just died or whatever. Going for a swim or whatever. And I look at my godfather. I'm like, his name is Josh. I'm like, Josh, do you see what's inside the cup? And he just goes, yup. And he just drinks it down. And he just sucks on the bugs and drinks it down. I just couldn't do it. He had a bigger heart than me. You know, what's interesting is that in the U.S., we really don't have a good understanding of poverty, right? For the most part. I don't think we really got a good grasp, a good understanding of poverty. Because most people define poverty as the lack of something material, most people define poverty as a lack of something material. Have you ever heard somebody complain about how poor they are? And when you ask, well, why, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that you're poor? Man, because I don't have the latest phone. You know, iPhone just came out with a new phone, the new Samsung Galaxy Note 9 or whatever. I, and I can't afford it. I can't have it. I'm poor. I'm broke. I can't afford it. All right, because they're driving around a car that's 10 years old. Right? I can't afford a new car. I'm broke. I'm so poor. I can't afford Yeezys, you know? How can you how can you be relevant? How can you do anything without having Yeezys on your feet? I need a bigger apartment. But I'm so broke I can't afford a bigger apartment because I ran out of space for all the stuff that I've bought. So I need a bigger apartment. You know, my car doesn't have heated seats. And how are you supposed to keep your tushy roasty in the winter without butt warmers? Right? You need butt warmers in your I'm so broke, I'm so poor. That's kind of that's our understanding of poverty in the US. But what's interesting is that those who are truly impoverished, they define poverty differently. The truly poor define poverty as a mindset. In fact, the World Bank, they did a survey of over 60,000 people from some of the world's most impoverished and poverty-stricken nations and countries all over the world. And when they asked the truly impoverished to define poverty, you know what they said? They used words like this. They described it this way. Shame. I feel shame. I feel worthless. Fear. I have fear. They described it as being humiliated. I have humiliation and hopelessness. When asked to define poverty, these are the type of descriptive words that the truly poor uh, described it as. Can you guys see the difference between uh, just rattling off a list of a bunch of things we don't have? Now, I think this is really important for us to see whether we're dealing with those living in Poverty overseas, you know, those that are in, in other countries around the world that are really, really impoverished, or if we're talking about those that are impoverished right here in Bushwick in our community. You see, when we speak of poverty, we cannot simply mention material poverty. You can't just talk about that because that's just one form of poverty. There's also spiritual poverty, right? That's the disconnection between us and God. There's relational poverty. That's the strife and the bitterness and the abuse and the disconnect from one another. Then there's the poverty of self. That's the selfishness, the pride, or even the resentment or hatred of oneself. There's poverty all around us, and it's not just a lack of things. Poverty affects a lot more than we think. What we need to understand is this, that the root of all poverty is brokenness. The root of all poverty is brokenness. What we see all around us, everywhere that you look, what you see 
is brokenness. And what causes this brokenness? What causes it? One word, sin. Sin causes this brokenness. In fact, this is verse Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Why don't we read this verse out loud um, together? You guys know this verse. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. Ready? Go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe you want to circle the first part of that verse. Just circle. For all have sinned. How many is all? All is an all-encompassing word. Everybody. Everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. We all share this in common. And that is that we all sin and fall short of God's perfection. And this sin causes brokenness and disconnect. In God's original design, when God first created the world, was there brokenness? The answer is no. Adam and Eve did not experience this brokenness at first. Think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden, made in the image of God, in perfect communion with God, in perfect communion with one another, in perfect communion with all of creation. And what disrupted that unity? One word. Sin. Sin disrupted that unity. And as soon as sin entered the world, all that unity was broken and poverty entered the world. And because of sin, there is poverty of spiritual intimacy with God. Our sin separates us from God because God is holy. We cannot enter into His presence sinfully. Instead of feeling close to God, we feel distant. We're tempted to deny God's existence. We are tempted to follow other gods and, and follow false idols like money and like wealth and like pleasure and like status and fame. We are tempted because of sin to follow these things and to live to these things. Because of sin, there is poverty in relation to the rest of creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said he would curse the ground. Now when we work, there's toil and there's hardship, right? He, because God cursed the, the ground, there's hardship in our work. We become either workaholics, where we're over-consumed, you know, with, with work. We, wanna, we work too much to the detriment of our family and our own selves. Or we're just plain old lazy and we don't want to work, right? I don't want to work. Live, let's live off the government. You know, let's not, I don't want to go. I want to stay home. You'd rather stay home, watch Netflix all day, play video games, or go through a big bag of Doritos, right? I, I, that's life. And that's all caused... By sin. And because of sin, there's relational poverty. In other words, the way we relate with one another. There's self-centeredness. There is selfishness. There's abuse. There's exploitation. There's gossip. There's slander. There's hatred. There's jealousy. And all of this is a result of relational poverty. And lastly, because of sin, there's poverty of self. This is where you look at the mirror... You look at yourself in the mirror and you think one of two things. You either develop a God complex and you think you're the bomb.com. Like you're God's gift to humanity, right? And, and you blow kisses at yourself in the mirror and you, you, know, you flex your flap, right? And you, you think you're hot stuff. Or you look in the mirror and you hate what you see. You, you have low self-esteem. This can play out in some extreme ways like self-harming or overeating or starving yourself to try to get the perfect image of yourself you think you should be. Do you guys see how sin creates all different types of poverty? Now what I want you to see is that we are all impoverished. We are all impoverished. We are all poor. And I want you to see that in the world we live in, right here in our community, 
There is material poverty. In fact, last week I mentioned to you guys that over 30% of the population in Bushwick is at or below the poverty line. We're talking about Bushwick, two square miles, home to over 120,000 people, 30% of the population at or below the poverty line, probably a lot more than that. And so there's poverty, there's material poverty in our community, but there's also brokenness in all areas due to sin. And this levels the playing field, doesn't it? It doesn't matter your salary. It doesn't matter how much you have in the bank, how much you have in savings. We are all poor. So now that we have this foundation, how does God call us to help those that are in need? How does God compel us as followers of Jesus to do something about this poverty? Here's the call. Is there a call for us as followers of Jesus to do anything? The answer is yes. Yes, there is. And for the rest of our time, I want to talk about three things that we're called to do as followers of Jesus to bring a little relief and a slice of the kingdom of God to earth. Let's talk about these three things. Are you guys ready? You guys ready? You're awake? All right. Okay. Here's the first thing. Number one, we are called to serve. We are called to serve. There's this passage in the book of Matthew. For sake of time, guys, it's in your notes. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But there's this passage in the book of Matthew that uh, my, my grandfather used to um, quote this all the time. This was like his life passage. He quoted it innumerable times and it was what he lived by. And if you know him, you knew that he had a heart to love and serve people and help people all that he could. And in this passage, Jesus is describing what it will look like one day when we stand before him. When we stand before the presence of Jesus on this day, he's going to determine and separate those who genuinely followed him and those who didn't. And he will say that the way we will know this is by how we serve. In fact, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase, you guys have the verses there and you know it's Matthew 25 verses 34 through, uh, 30, uh, through 40. He says things like, you know, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you came and you visited, you helped me feel better. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. You invited me in. And he said, this is how I know. Welcome into the kingdom of God. And the people will ask, they say in verse 38 and 39, when did we ever do that to you, Jesus? When did we give you a cup of water? When did we give you something to eat? And then he says this in verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, read that last part, you did for me. When did we do this to you, Jesus? When did we? How, how are we welcome into the kingdom of God through service? How are we doing that? Well, it's because you welcomed me. You gave me a cup to, of water to drink. You gave me something to eat. You helped me. And that is how and that is why. You guys remember last week, we read a verse from the book of James. And it said this, that pure and undefiled religion is this, that we take care of widows and orphans. In other words, that we care for the vulnerable and the marginalized. And how do we do that? We do that through service. We do that through serving. When we do this, we bring about immediate relief to someone who may be in need. Someone's hungry, you give them a sandwich. Someone's thirsty, you give them a cup of water, right? And this is what I love about the Legacy Center. I spoke about them last week. The Legacy Center, for those of you that don't know, is a local organization in the community. And every single Monday, they do an awesome job at helping feed the homeless and hungry in our community. In fact, every Monday, they set up in front of Maria Hernandez Park, 
which is on Knickerbocker and Star. And they set up every single Monday, rain or shine, and they feed the homeless and hungry right there at the park. In fact, this picture here is from one of our mission teams earlier this summer when we were able to give them extra hands and feet, support them, love and serve them, serve our neighbors and help them um, that day. So as you guys can see, they're set up in front of the park and they're feeding the homeless and hungry there. They do an awesome job at doing this. And, and ultimately, Jesus gave us the best example of servanthood, didn't he? In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus gives us this perfect example. Though he was sinless, though he was perfect in every way, and God himself, what did he do? He served. Jesus served. Matthew 20, 28, I need you guys to wake up. Read this verse out loud with me, guys. Wake up, wake up. You ready? Matthew 20, 28, go. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In just a moment, our ushers are going to go around and pass out cups of coffee to wake you guys up so that you can be in service with me, okay? So what did Jesus do? Jesus served. Jesus served. Do you guys remember Hurricane Sandy? Who remembers Hurricane Sandy? Right here in New York City, huge devastation. Jersey, New York City, parts of Brooklyn and Staten Island, right? Countless homes were destroyed. People were evacuated. They were without electricity. They lost all their valuables. At, at that time, me and Melissa were going to a church in Jersey. They helped mobilize thousands and thousands of volunteers to be able to go and help bring immediate relief to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those that lost their homes, lost their valuables, and lost everything because of this hurricane. And we were able to participate. So you guys can see some pictures here. You know, homes were destroyed. The water levels were 10, 12, 15 feet high in their homes. And so we went in and we mucked out houses. We broke down walls. We destroyed walls and so that we could spend some time helping the families that lost everything during this time. This is what we do. We are called to serve. We are called to serve. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to meet the immediate needs of those who need it because we are called to serve. Now listen, you're going to have opportunities as an individual to serve your neighbor. You're going to have an opportunity as, your, as an individual to help meet the needs of those who need it. Us collectively as a church, as a church, we're going to have many opportunities collectively to do something as a church to help our neighbors and to help those that are in need. And we have and we have been capitalizing on many opportunities to show God's love in very practical ways. This is why I've been telling you guys to bring in school supplies. Because by God's grace, we want to give a little over 100 backpacks to kids right here in this school. I mentioned last week that many of the kids that go to school here, they live in shelters. They come from fatherless homes. They come from impoverished um, um, families. So we want to help them a little bit. It's expensive to have to go shopping if you got two, three kids and you got to go school shopping for everybody. And so we want to help bring a little bit of immediate relief to some families. You can't do everything, but you can do. You guys remember that? We said that last week. You can't do everything. You can't do something as collectively as a church. What are we going to do? We're going to try to help as many kids as we can. We want to help the vulnerable and the marginalized. This is what we do. Can't do everything. You can't do something. Let's capitalize on any opportunity that we can to love and serve the neighbors we are called to serve. Here's the second thing you're called to do. Number two in your notes, we are called to connect. You are called to serve, and we are called to connect. You know, oftentimes, guys, relief efforts don't move beyond just that. And, and that can actually lead to deepening the poverty cycle within a person or a community. If all you offer is relief and there is no restoration, you leave someone in there need. And so it's so important that we move to this next step of not just serving, but also connecting. 
What we want to do is eventually connect with people on a relational level so that we may begin to experience a more holistic approach to the relief. Did you ever hear this saying, guys? Who's ever heard this saying right here? Teach, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, and what? Feed him for a lifetime. You guys ever heard of that? Well, to do that, guess what it takes? Give somebody a fish. That's quick and easy. If you have a, you got two fish, you give somebody one, you just gave them a, a tuna fish sandwich for the day. To teach them how to do that, guess what it takes? It takes time. It takes relationship. So, all right, man, let's get on this boat. All right, let me show you how to grab a bait. A bait. Let me show you. I went fishing a couple uh, months ago at the beginning of the summer, and I had to grab that nasty squid. It's so disgusting. And, and the little bait fish and put the hook through its eyeball. It's so disgusting. They had to teach me how to do that. I'm a city boy. I don't fish. They had to teach me how to do that. It takes relationship, and it takes time. It takes time to do that, to build relationship. Giving him the fish, that's the immediate relief. Teaching him how to fish is a bigger part of the restorative of the restorative process but to do that it takes relationship and time the legacy center that i just finished mentioning also does a great job at doing that they do a phenomenal job at doing this not only do they meet their immediate needs so they set up a table they give out food they feed them they bring toiletries uh, they give shirts uh the last time i was there they had like wipes so that they can take little you know little quick showers that they don't have access to a bath or whatever they do a great job at meeting the immediate needs but then you know what else they do they begin to build relationships with them. They learn their names. They even learn their birthdays. They spend time with them, and they try to help them. In fact, the last time I was there, I want to show you this video. I hope it works. I want to show you this video. A couple weeks ago, I was just there when this happened. Check it out. That's what happened the last time I was with the Legacy Center. They knew it was her birthday. They knew it was time. And what did they do? They bought her a cake. They spent time with her. They sang her happy birthday. By connecting with them relationally, they're able to learn their names. They're able to hear their story. And they're able to provide for them the longer-term help that they need. It can be a drug rehab center. It can be um, a shelter. It could be a AAA meeting that's in the area. I've been there when there was times when they when they put them in their car and drove them to the emergency room, drove them to Woodhall, Wyckoff, to try to help them get the immediate need that they help. It's building relationship. It's connecting with them. Now, this is what we try to do as a church as well. Now, I'm not saying that we do it particularly well, but it's something that we want to get better at. Whenever we do an outreach or an event, we want to selflessly and sacrificially serve. Whether that's an Easter egg hunt, a backpack giveaway, a fall festival, a movie night, feeding the homeless, a servant evangelism project, cleaning the park, cleaning our streets. We want to serve. We want to help people. We want to be there for people. But beyond that, we want to be intentional about seeking out ways to connect with our neighbors, to build those relationships. Because when we're able to do that, we can help them find and see that beyond the immediate need, 
that we're trying to be fulfilled, there's some greater need, right? There's a greater need that we want them to see. We want to show them, and that's their need for Christ and their need for community. And that can only happen if we're connecting, if there's relationship. You know, there's four things that I teach our mission teams. We had eight mission teams come and join us this week. Uh, Those of you that don't know, a mission team is basically a group of people that come from out of state. They come here to help us out to love and serve our neighbors for a week. We had eight teams like that this year. And every time I meet up with a brand new team, I try to give them a little training, a little intro to Bushwick. And this is what I teach them. I teach them to be on the lookout for these four things. And I'm going to share with you today. So if you're like me and you like to take extra notes, maybe you want to write this on the margin of your notes or whatever. This is what I tell them to do. Because obviously, we do a lot of projects. We clean the streets. We go to the park. We feed the homeless. We do the serving. But what the difficulty is, is trying to do the connecting part. That's the hard part sometimes, trying to connect people with relationship. So here's four things I tell them to do. Number one, I tell them have a conversation. A conversation. You know, in New York City, people got their headphones on, head down. They're going to work, going to school, push you out of the way. I'm in a rush. Leave me alone. And so when we're in the street sweeping, the, we're in the street sweeping up a block, cleaning a park or whatever, I teach our team to look at someone in the eyeballs and say, Good morning. How are you? Because you don't hear that in New York City. And so we talk, look somebody in the eyeballs and say, good morning. Say, hi, how are you? One of two things will happen. They'll flip you the bird or they'll say good morning back. It's one of the two, right? And so either way, you've had an interaction with somebody. Hopefully, you can give them a positive interaction. Have a conversation with somebody. That good morning might lead to how you're doing and that might lead to a greater conversation. Here's the second thing I tell them. I say, say a prayer. Say a prayer for them. That's a great way to minister to them because you say, hey, good morning. How are you doing? And say, man, life stinks right now. I just found out I have cancer. You know, my mom just died. My dog just died or whatever. I'm going through a tough time right now. I'm getting this place from my, my apartment. Man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can I pray for you right now? Man, that's an awesome way to connect with somebody and minister to someone right on the spot. Guys, do not deny the power of prayer, guys. We pray to a power. What makes prayer powerful is who we're praying to. And so it's a powerful way to minister to somebody and connect with somebody. That's the second thing you can pray. Here's the third thing, an invitation. Invitation. Give someone an invite to church. That's why I, I try to guard you, I give you guys some uh, business cards and invite cards so you can invite someone to church. Because ultimately what they need is relationship. They need family. They need community. And that's what the church is. The church is the family. It's a community. It's where you can get fed and you can hear the gospel, preach, and you can respond to the gospel. You can repent of sin. Where you can do life with one another. You can do what we're about to do. Go to the park and grill hot dogs and eat together and do all that and spend time with one another. So you can invite someone to church so they can hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and be a part of of the family. And here's the fourth thing is this. You can actually share the gospel. As you ask someone how they're doing and you talk to them, you see that there's an openness to the gospel, you can actually share the gospel yourself. Help them see their need for Savior. Help them see their sin separates them from God and how God loves them so much that He sent Jesus to come and to die in their place and to pay the forgiveness of their sins so that they can experience newness of life. Share the gospel with them right there. Conversation, prayer, invitation and share the gospel we are called to serve and we are called to connect here's the third thing in notes we're wrapping up number three is surrender number three in your notes surrender surrender guys let's not kid ourselves okay let's not kid ourselves you need to understand this and this is super important we are all impoverished you may have a lot of money in the bank you may have a good paying job but without jesus we are 
spiritually bankrupt. We are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. I read this quote from an author recently. It says this, We've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. The truth is, we are both. We need to realize and we need to acknowledge that we all share this in common. That before God, we all stand broken. Before God, we all stand impoverished. Before God, you are spiritually broke. It doesn't matter where on the poverty line you stand. We all share this in common. But God in His infinite love for us, He does the unthinkable. And He sends Jesus to die in our place to remove our poverty. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read this verse loud and proud together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. Look at the language that he uses to describe our poverty and his richness. Are you guys ready? Let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. Do you guys, did you guys, do you guys see the language here? Who's poor and who's rich? We're poor. He's rich. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich and in him. And if you're here today and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to call you to do that today. Now listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front. The point of this is not to embarrass you, but I do want to give you an invitation. God is gracious. God is patient. And if you yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. If everybody would take out their connection card, it looks like this. You have it in your bulletins on the back. After you fill out the front with as much information as you can, on the back, on the very top, it says, Make Jesus Lord and Savior. And if you yet to make that decision, I want to encourage you to do so today. If this is the first time you understand, now you, you get it, that you are spiritually poor. You might have a good 401k, you might have a good paying job, but spiritually you're bankrupt. And the only way that we can take, take a deposit from the kingdom of God is to put our faith and trust, not on ourselves, but on Him. Put your faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that when we do that, He will exchange our poverty for His richness. And if you put your faith in Him, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, then you can experience salvation. And all you have to do is put your faith in Him. And, and as a church, we would love to celebrate with you, follow up with you, help you take next steps, encourage you. So that's you and you've yet to do that, man, I encourage you to do that today. And in just a moment, we'll let you know how you can hand those connection cards and we would love to come alongside you as your family. Yes, we're called to serve. Yes, we are called to connect. Yes, we are called to surrender because before God, we stand poor and broken, but through Jesus, we are made rich. Do you guys pray with me? God, I pray, Father, that as a church, we would remain committed to the least of these. I pray we would continue to serve our neighbors and meet their needs. I pray that we would experience the grace of Jesus through our actions. And I pray that we would connect with our neighbors. I pray that we might ultimately connect them to the most important relief that they can receive. And that is that their sins would be forgiven and that their lives would be surrendered to Jesus. I pray that we might be a family of committed believers that they can be welcomed to. Thank you for showing us our poverty and for delivering us through the richness of Christ Jesus. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.